The Productive Woman, Episode 111. Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Productive Woman. My name is Laura McClellan, and this is a podcast dedicated to productivity for busy women. My goal is to help you find the tools and encouragement you need to manage your time, life, stress, and stuff so you can accomplish the things you care about most and make a life that matters. I'm so glad you've joined me for this episode. We're going to talk about some of the things we do that steal our time and our energy for the things that matter most to us. You'll find links and additional information in the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 111. Feel free to check that out. Now, this episode is brought to you by my Productive Woman Mastermind Groups. These are small groups of women who are committed to making a life that matters and to supporting and encouraging each other toward accomplishing their goals. The groups meet weekly via video conference, and they share goals and wins and struggles and ideas for overcoming the obstacles that sometimes stand between us and the meaningfully productive lives we want. The current fall 2016 groups are underway, and I'm just really excited to see how the women are connecting and supporting each other and watching the progress as we go along. But we'll be starting new groups after the first of the year in 2017. And that would be a great way to kick off the new year right and join that small group of motivated women to help encourage and and hold you accountable. Spaces are very limited, and I expect to have those groups filled by probably the end of November of 2017. But I take applications on a rolling basis, an ongoing basis. So if you want to be on the list to be a part of the groups in 2017 or the, the first round of groups in 2017, visit the Work With Me page on the website at theproductivewoman.com slash mastermind. And you can find more information there and a link to a short online application. I'll review that. That will get you on the list, you know, to the top of the list for the January groups. And I've got some special things planned and in mind for the groups that we'll be meeting in the first part of 2017. If you have questions, feel free to email me at feedback at theproductivewoman.com, and I'd be happy to answer those questions for you. Now let's get into the topic for this week. I've been thinking a lot, the phrase time thieves came to mind. And of course, I'm not so creative that's a new thing that I just made up. Once I kind of brainstormed some ideas of what I think are things that our time from more productive uses. Then I started Googling and found that other people have written and talked about this as well. And, and really what I thought about the background for this is how, you know, we guard our money and our stuff against theft. We lock doors, we, you know, set alarms, we have insurance or whatever. And yet most of that stuff is replaceable. But time, on the other hand, is finite and irreplaceable. A moment or a day or a year gone is gone forever. So it's important to guard our time against all those things, both external and internal, that would steal our time, leave us without the time or the energy to do the things that are most important to us. So I want to talk about some of those things, those external time thieves and the internal time thieves, and maybe a few things that we can do about them and to counteract them and protect our time against them. I would love to hear your thoughts about this, though. And so, you know, let me know what you think. 
So first of all, some of the external time thieves. And I've got just five of those that I wanted to talk about. And in some cases, I've talked about those, some of them in the past. The first external time thief that I wanted to talk about is interruptions. And this is things like drop-in visitors, phone calls, uh, you know, somebody showing up with a question or a need that you weren't expecting and that you hadn't planned for. These are particularly bad if they come when we're in the middle of an important project or some serious work, because in addition to the time that interruptions take to deal with the interruption itself, studies show that it takes an average of 15 minutes to regain your concentration and get back to productive work. So interruptions are really something that can steal our time away from the work we have planned for ourselves. What can we do about it? You know, there are a lot of things, and we'll talk more about all of these things in future episodes, but I kind of wanted to give an overview and the, the highlights. And so some of the things that I thought about in terms of dealing with interruptions is to take charge of your time and your environment. Make yourself less available if you can. You know, close your door maybe move to another area. I have been known to leave my office and go sit in a conference room somewhere where my phone won't be bugging me and my email won't be, you know, available to me if I really need to focus. And I know that nobody's going to find me because I'm not where I'm usually working. So if you can move to an area when you need to have time to really concentrate, that can help. Maybe post office hours like professors do. I was thinking when I was working on this that, you know, when I was in college and in law school, the professors have posted office hours on their doors. And other than that, the doors closed and they have set aside that time for, you know, working on their writing projects, the research that they do. Why can't we do that as well? It's, it's not about making yourself totally unavailable to the people who need you, but taking control of that to the extent that you can and saying, you know, I've figured out for myself, I need, you know, these hours of the day are when I'm the most productive. I need to commit that time to the projects and the work that need my attention and my focus. And so I'm not going to be available, but I am available these other times. So if you show up at my door and it's closed, come back at two o'clock and I'll talk to you then, that sort of thing. And finally, learn to say no. You know, when people show up and knock on the door and say, hey, you got a minute, it's okay to say no. It's okay to say, you know, I'm in the middle of something really important right now. Can we talk in an hour? Or whatever works for you. But the idea is to realize that we can take charge of our time and manage those interruptions. Those are just a few things. I'd love to know what you do to manage and control your time so that interruptions don't take the best of your time and energy. The second external time thief that I thought about is clutter and disorganization, especially a poor physical setup, but also just disorganization in our time. But as far as physical clutter, you know, we've talked about this in past episodes. You can, you know, look at episode 14, 16, episode 37, all of those we've talked about clutter and decluttering. But what does it cost us? We waste time looking for things that we, you know, are buried or that we've misplaced. We waste time when we have so much stuff, we waste time caring for and cleaning those things instead of using our time and our energy for things that matter more. 
And similarly, as far as just disorganization, if we have no plan for how and when to get things done, that inefficiency means we kind of wander around trying to figure out what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And it takes longer to do things than it needs to do. Similarly, with physical clutter, that takes longer to do a project if you have to go around and clear a space and find the things that you need, the tools that you need. So what can you do about it? Well, first of all, decluttering. And again, go back to those previous episodes, 14, 16, and 37, where we talk about uh, decluttering. And in fact, in the newsletter that I sent out the day before recording this episode, I shared a decluttering guide, a room-by-room decluttering guide that was shared with me by the Canards Storage Company. They sent it to me and thought listeners might be interested, and I thought it was really good. So I shared it in the newsletter. I'll try to remember to put a link also in the show notes for this episode so you can check that out. Really, it's about getting rid of excess stuff. Um, You know, we can organize all day long, but if we've got too much stuff, it's going to be hard to organize it. It's going to take more time, and most of us have more stuff than we need. You know, if you've got 15 wooden spoons in the kitchen and you use the same one every time because it's the one you like the best, maybe it's time to get rid of 14 of them or maybe only 13. But you know what I'm saying, that to clear space physically clears space mentally. And so get rid of that excess stuff and then organize the things that you do keep. And again, check out that uh, room-by-room decluttering guide. In terms of organizing our stuff and getting organized in our space, think about where you keep your stuff. The most convenient space, whether in your office, your kitchen, your bathroom, or wherever, should be reserved for the things that you use daily or multiple times daily. That whole a place for everything and everything in its place is an ancient cliche, but it's also a recipe for efficient and productive work, no matter where you are, whether it's in your office, in your kitchen, or any other room of the house. So once you've winnowed out the things that you really don't need, all the excess stuff, and you've decluttered, and and then you figure out where's the best place to put this stuff. And again, we've talked about that in other episodes. But decluttering and getting more organized can put a stop to that time thief and make more space in your time, in your schedule, and in your mind for getting things done that matter more. The third external time thief that I thought about is meetings. And sometimes meetings are important and they're valuable, but the statistics are when you just Google time lost in meetings or something like that, the statistics are kind of mind-boggling. I mean, billions of dollars and tens of thousands of hours are lost to business every year in meetings. And you think about it, you think, well, it's only, you know, it's a one-hour meeting. What's the big deal? It's one hour out of the week and what's being lost there. But the thing is, if you've got 10 people in a one-hour meeting, then you haven't lost one hour of productive time. You've lost 10 hours. And the question is, are you getting 10 hours worth of value? There's a really interesting infographic that I found on themuse.com. It's titled, How Much Time Do We Spend in Meetings? Hint, it's scary. That's real interesting. I'll put a link in the show notes for that, just the statistics, but also what we can do about it. And so some of the things that we can do to prevent this thief from stealing too much of our time 
Obviously, avoid meetings when you can. If you're invited to a meeting at work or for a charity that you're involved in or whatever, you know, ask the organizer, ask the person who's asking you to be there, you know, what's it about? How long is it going to be? What's the agenda? Do we know? And do I really need to be there or can I just touch base with you later? For meetings that you really need to attend that are important and that are going to add value, keep them as short as you can. The default in scheduling meetings always seems to be for an hour on most calendar type things, but maybe we should consider defaulting to a 30-minute meeting, being more focused and get it done. What about, you know, some people suggest when you have to have a meeting at work or, you know, with your spouse to talk about things or whatever, maybe have a walking meeting or a lot of productivity experts suggest for in the office or at work having standing meetings so nobody gets to sit down. That'll keep them short. And, you know, so if you have the ability to influence that, those are some things to consider uh, minimizing the time lost in meetings. One of, uh, and I think it was in this infographic I mentioned before, they talked about three questions to ask when it comes to two meetings. And especially if you're the one who's considering calling a meeting or planning a meeting. First question is, is it necessary? That is, can the information to be conveyed or decision to be made at this meeting, can it be made by other means without a meeting? Can you just send the annual report and have people read it and call you with questions instead of having a meeting where you read the report to them? That's one example. All right, so is it necessary? Who really needs to be there? Are we inviting the whole department or the whole team or whatever just because that's just what we do? Or is everybody on the invitation list really necessary for the conversation that has to take place. And the third question is, how can we keep it focused and short? Have an agenda, just two or three items on the agenda, stick to the agenda and call it done. So meetings is, uh, are the number three external time thief I thought about as I was planning this. Number four of the external time thieves is our constant connectedness. And by that, I'm talking about things like email, social media, instant messaging, you know, text messaging, all those sorts of things. It just seems like anymore, we are constantly online, constantly connected to the world outside us and to other people. And that can really, I mean, it can be great because social media has given, for instance, me the opportunity to connect with old friends that I haven't seen since high school and kind of catch up on what they're doing. And it gives me the opportunity to connect in a more personal way with you in the Productive Woman Community Facebook group or on the Facebook page or whatever and via email. So those things all have value to add to our lives, but the constant connectedness, it can become a real issue for us. It's sort of tied to the interruptions thing that I talked about earlier when alerts are dinging at us all the time, calling us to pay attention to something somebody wants to tell us or some photo they've posted on Instagram or whatever, and those interruptions that interfere with our ability to stay focused on deep and important work. But that constant connection can become an addiction. I read this really interesting article that cited a study by the University of Maryland that released these reports and statistics on social media addiction in the United States. And it revealed that 18% of social media users can't go beyond a few hours without checking Facebook. 
and 61% of the users check Facebook newsfeed at least once a day. The study also showed that of iPhone users, and that I kind of paid attention to that because I use iPhone, 28% check their Twitter feed before getting up in the morning. And it's estimated, according to this study, that the average American spends nearly a quarter of their workday browsing social media for non-work-related activities. Now, if you're a, you know, a business owner, that's alarming because you're losing productive time as folks are on their social media things. And because there's that hit of dopamine you get when you get a message or an alert or you check and you see something going on or you get, ooh, somebody commented or liked my page or liked my post, it creates this kind of addictive effect. There was another article that I read that really was interesting that listed 10 ways social media affects our mental health. And I'll put the link in the show notes. It's really worth reading, but briefly, you know, some of them are, it's addictive, as I've already said. It makes us compare our lives with others. And I'm going to talk about that later. The social media makes us restless, it gives rise to cyberbullying. It often glamorizes drug and alcohol use. It can make us unhappy. This article cited a study from the University of Michigan that found that more avid users of Facebook overall were more unhappy than those who use Facebook less often and were less satisfied with their lives. I thought that was kind of interesting. Social media can lead to the fear of missing out and all that that entails, and it often leads to multitasking, which you know, we're going to talk about in a minute and we've talked about before. I mean, there are some socially positive effects, but again, it just can really cause problems. It creates distractions and an inability to focus as we need to do important work. I've mentioned in the past Cal Newport's book that came out, I think this year or late last year, called Deep Work. And he, early in the book, cites a number of books and studies that support the position that network tools, that's the phrase he uses for things like the internet and social media and those kinds of things, network tools are distracting us from work that requires unbroken concentration while simultaneously degrading our capacity to remain focused. The constant connectedness and the constant stimulus and the quick moving stuff related to social media and other kinds of things like that, that constant connection are training us to be unable to stay focused on any one thing for very long. And that kind of focus is necessary for really important deep work. So what can we do about it? What can we do about this time thief? I mean, social media is not going anywhere. And for people like me and other people who have, whether it's a podcast community or an online business, social media is important. It's how we connect with the people who listen to us and the people we, we want to serve. But it has its downside. So what can we do about it? First of all, disconnect at least for certain periods of the day or you know one day a week or whatever that means to you at least you know if you figure out when you're most able to be focused and productive and when you're brain dead and save social media for the brain dead times then you're going to develop the skill of being focused when you have really deep work to do put your phone in the drawer, close social media sites, get away from the internet and just, you know, focus. But it's not just to make room for work. It's also to leave room or create room for the other important things in our lives, like family. 
Cal Newport in his book says he generally tries to stay away from his computer after work. And he says, and I'm quoting here, this ability to fully disconnect as opposed to the more standard practice of sneaking in a few quick work email checks or giving in to frequent surveys of social media sites allows me to be present with my wife and two sons in the evenings. And he goes on to say, more generally, the lack of distraction in my life tones down that background hum of nervous mental energy that seems to increasingly pervade people's daily lives. This is really about taking control of social media and kind of calming the noise a little bit. So consider a rule of no phones during mealtime or family game time or movie time. I've read about groups of friends who meet for dinner and they put their phones face down in the middle of the table and the first person who gives in and checks their phone has to buy dinner for the group. You know, it's all about setting aside that electronic connection to make time for face-to-face personal connection. And certainly, um, aside from just having times when you're disconnected entirely, certainly, as we've talked about before, turn off alerts for your social media apps and sites on your phone and your computer and so on, and set time limits for when you're going to be there and go on, maybe set a timer, uh, you know, I'm going to go onto Facebook for 15 minutes. When the timer dings, I'm going to get up and do something else. And the final external thief of time is multitasking. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time about that now. We've talked about it before. It doesn't work. And I'm talking about the kind where you're really trying to do two things at the same time. Say, listen to a podcast while you're writing a report for work. That doesn't work. You're, you're going to be unfocused. It takes longer to do things that way, which leaves less time for other pursuits and activities. And often you're going to have poor quality work and more errors and maybe have to redo the work. So that's how it's stealing our time. What to do about it? It's pretty simple. Practice focusing on one thing at a time. And I'm not talking about, you know, efficient use of time, say, listening to a podcast. I'm hung up on podcasts, aren't I? Um, While you're on the elliptical or while you're commuting, you know, talking with a friend on the phone while you wash the dishes or, you know, those sorts of things. And as we've talked about in past episodes, the kind of multitasking where you're doing one thing that requires attention while you're also doing something else that doesn't really require your attention. That's a different thing than trying to do two things that you can't really do well without paying attention to. So those are the five external time thieves that I thought about, interruptions, clutter and disorganization, meetings, that constant connectedness of social media, and multitasking. What about internal time thieves? These are things that we do to ourselves. And this was really the part that made me think as I was kind of brainstorming this episode and thinking about it and doing a little research. These are thoughts and feelings and attitudes internally that we impose on ourselves that steal our time and our energy and our attention and make us less productive in the sense of getting the things done that really matter to us. So again, I've got one, two, three, four, five of them as well. How does that work out? These aren't in any particular order. They're just the order I thought about them. And the first one is regret. Regret steals our time, whether it's regret over past mistakes 
or regret over bad decisions. It steals our time because we we lose time reliving scenes from our past and beating ourselves up over it. The negative thoughts that we have about the choices we've made in the past affect how we feel about ourselves now that can undermine our self-confidence and prevent us from taking steps to do the things that we really care about. Regret over these things can lead to procrastination and you know what people have referred to as analysis paralysis. We are so regretful over a mistake we made or a bad judgment call in the past that we're afraid to make a decision now and that steals our time away from us. So what can we do about it? I loved some suggestions from an article by Sharon, I think it's Teitelbaum, uh, her work-life sanity blog. And again, I'll have a link to the blog and to this particular post in the show notes, uh, which will be at theproductivewoman.com slash 111. She had some great suggestions about how to deal with those regrets and reminders of our past mistakes that maybe haunt us and keep us from being productive, ways to deal with those things so we can move on and do the things we want to do. And the first one, she says, is to clean it up. Ask yourself, you know, if you're feeling regretful over something in the past, is there something you need to do about it now to resolve it? Is there unfinished business there that needs to be tended to? If so, just do it. And then if you need to apologize to someone or uh, somehow talk with somebody to bring closure to a situation, take care of it, do that thing. And that may give you just enough closure to move on. Maybe talk to somebody if you're really mired in regret over those mistakes and, and you're hesitant to move forward because you're afraid you're going to make another mistake. Maybe talking to a counselor or a coach, a life coach kind of, or just a trusted friend. Sometimes just talking about it can help you realize maybe it's not as bad as you've remembered it or as bad as you've made it to be. If you are haunted by these Self-accusations, I guess, is the best way to do it. Um, Sharon Teitelbaum in this article says, face those accusations. She says, imagine another person criticizing you the same way you're criticizing yourself. And now defend yourself to that person. And it's okay to say, yep, you're right. I'm not perfect. I've made a mistake. Everybody makes mistakes. You know, explain to yourself what you learned from the experience. And then as she says, tell your accuser, now leave me alone because I've got things to do. There are other suggestions she has in the article. I loved one of the last ones was to replace the negative with the positive. We've talked about this before. You can't be stressed out and sad and grateful at the same time. You can't beat yourself up over your life if you're grateful for it. So try that positive thinking. Focus on the blessings. Focus on the things you've done well. Give yourself credit. Sit down and brainstorm a list of things you've done well and let the regrets go so that you can move forward. Turn your thinking toward, what can I learn from this? Learn the lesson from it, then let it go. In episode 28 of The Productive Woman, we talked about the fact that failure isn't fatal. And the fact that you've made a mistake or done something wrong in the past doesn't disqualify you from having a meaningful and productive life going forward. The second internal time thief that I came up with is doubt 
especially self-doubt. Self-doubt is defined as a lack of confidence in oneself and one's abilities. And it's evidenced by second-guessing every decision, being indecisive, and letting others persuade us to do the less important things because we question our own judgment, letting other people set our priorities. That's a huge time thief. Jim Rohn, I love this quote, and I've seen it in various forms, but If you don't design your own life plan, chances are you'll fall into someone else's plan. And guess what they have planned for you? Not much. So when we are doubting ourselves, we won't say no. We take on things maybe that we shouldn't instead of saving our time for the things that matter because we're not sure about the decisions that we're going to make. So what can we do about it? Well, again, take charge. Give yourself credit for the things you've done well Start that list in Evernote or your bullet journal or whatever of the things you've succeeded at, the good decisions you've made, the good outcomes that you've been responsible for, and remind yourself of those things. And if you're questioning a decision about something you want to do, I mean, one of the things you can do is just understand that in many cases, there is no one right decision. So make a decision and just go with it. There was an article on the Todoist blog that I'll link to that I thought this was really good. It was a good reminder for me. And one of the things it says in the article, and I'm quoting here, it's often our confidence in and commitment to our decisions that determine whether they are the right ones in the end. When faced with a difficult decision, ask yourself which option you'll be more motivated to make succeed. Instead of getting stuck overanalyzing a problem to find the best solution, use your time and energy in coming up with a concrete, actionable plan to make your decision succeed. So instead of wasting time, losing time, vacillating back and forth between, well, should I do this, should I do that, and doubting yourself, make a decision, commit to it, and then start taking small steps, setting interim goals that you can succeed to help build your confidence in your ability to accomplish this thing. And like I said, start that list of things you do well, good decisions you've made. I uh, started a page in my bullet journal, a list of things that I'm good at. And when I'm feeling kind of second-guessing myself and feeling kind of unqualified, I look at that to remind myself. The third internal time thief is comparison. We waste so much time measuring ourselves by what other people are doing or how they're doing it, or trying to live our life based on the image we have in our minds of how or what somebody else is doing. You know, we don't see the inside of their lives, but we see the outside and we think we know what we have to do to get there and that we really should want to get there. There is research that suggests that women are more prone to this, this comparison. In an article on the Huffington Post that I'll link to, Dr. Alyssa Westring talks about the impact of social comparison on our self-esteem and therefore on our productivity. And one of the things she said that I thought was really good, um, she says with a colleague of hers, she says, and I'm quoting now, I've conducted research on how social comparison, which is the act of comparing ourselves to others, impacts feelings of work-family conflict. Not surprisingly, she says, those who engage in more comparison to others feel worse about their work-life balance. Perhaps more surprisingly, these individuals, that is the people who spend more time comparing themselves to others, also report worse physical health symptoms and greater intentions to leave their jobs. 
there is a clear price, and I'm still quoting from this article, there is a clear price to be paid for comparing ourselves to others. And social media, back to one of the external causes, makes it exceptionally easy to do. Given that women are significantly higher users of social media compared to men, it's also likely that women are doing more of the comparing than their male counterparts. And so what damage does it cause in terms of our productivity? I really encourage you, if you don't read anything else that I've talked about, any of these other articles, I'm going to put a link in the show notes. Again, that'll be at theproductivewoman.com slash 111, 111. I'm going to put a link in the show notes for this article called A Simple Guide for All Women to Stop Comparing Themselves to Others. It is so good that I want to share a little bit of it, but there's not time for me to go really into depth about what they say in this article. But it talks about the destructive power of comparison and starts by saying it steals joy, but it does much more. It can really destroy our confidence and self-belief. And among the other things that they list in the article that comparison does is it belittles our own achievements. It steals our time and energy. You know, they say it takes time and energy to compare energy you could be using better. Comparison can go on and on. It starts with small things, they say, and and just never stops. Comparison might be based on what you perceive and not on the truth. And this is really important. They say in the article, you do not know what is happening in everyone else's life. One of the downsides of this constant connection that we talked about earlier and being, you know, the social media, everything's being shown is you think you know what's going on because people are posting all this stuff. But they say in this article, Facebook is a show reel and people select the highlights to share. They won't share the lows so much. So the truth you think you're comparing yourself to might not be the truth. Another element of the destructive power of comparison from this article is comparison does not give us any happiness or pleasure. Think about that for a minute. What positive emotions ever come from comparison? If you feel other women are doing better, you're going to feel down. If you feel they're doing, you know, you're ahead of them, then you're going to feel sorry for them. Neither of those is a happy or pleasurable thing. Comparison is a losing game and it's based on feeling, not truth. Really love that article. There was another one that I'll link to called How to Stop Comparing Yourself to Other Women, also worth reading. So what can we do about it? Stop comparing, I guess, is the simple answer. I love the recommendations from that Simple Guide article that I just talked about. Really read it. There are some great recommendations of things you can do about that. But it starts with know who you are and what you want. Build your own lane and stay in it. Develop your own life. It doesn't matter what other people are doing. Give them the grace to live their lives the way they want to, but know yourself and know what you want and practice being grateful for who you are and for what you have. Fourth internal time thief is guilt or shame. And oh my goodness, I could go so deep into that. Uh, Brene Brown has written great books about that. I'll try to remember to put links in the show notes to a couple of her books that have been so helpful to me. I mean, she's spent her career studying shame and its impact on us. There is a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is usually about something we've done. 
and shame is more about who we are. But both are destructive, both interfere with our ability to make rational decisions and move forward on the things we care about. As a result of guilt or shame, we lose so much time because we fill up our time doing the things we think we should or the things that we think will make up for some failure, and I'm using air quotes there, some failure on our part, instead of doing the things that matter. I mean, a simple example is maybe spending hours making some homemade something because we feel guilty for time we spent away from our family because of our job or whatever. But guilt and shame cost us so much time by making us do all these things that we think we ought to or that we owe somebody instead of doing what really matters to us. So what can we do about it? I mean, it starts with awareness. And we talked about this recently. That's such important productive attitude. To start to be aware and recognize when guilt, whether self-imposed or imposed by other people, is driving our decisions and our activity and recognize that we don't have to live our life based on that forgive ourselves for our own weaknesses and for our own failures and stop beating up on ourselves. All the things we've already talked about on this episode, extend grace to yourself and give yourself permission to move forward and do the things that matter. And finally, the fifth internal time thief that I wanted to talk about for this episode is perfectionism. We've talked about this also in previous episodes and what it does to our ability to be productive. Perfection leads to so much lost time, whether it's things like working and reworking a product, say an article you're writing or you know whatever project you're doing, trying to get it perfect and never getting it out there. Perfectionism is usually a symptom of something else. And we did talk about this back in clear back in episode seven. We'll probably talk about it more in the coming year. One article I read in Inc.com quoted John Perry, who's an emeritus professor of philosophy at Stanford University, who said, Perfectionists aren't people who do something perfectly. Perfectionists are people who fantasize about doing something perfectly. You know, we get this image in our life that the perfect product or the perfect person or the perfect self or the perfect life or the perfect living room or whatever, and we lose so much time trying to achieve perfection that's not really possible. And like I said, it's usually perfectionism is a symptom of something else, a lack of confidence or a fear of failure or any of those things. It often leads to procrastination which I thought this was really interesting. That same Inc.com article said, at its core, procrastination represents shoddy treatment of the one person who should matter most to you, the future you. And that article, I'll put a link in the show notes because I don't want to go too deep into it, but I just thought that was really interesting. When we let our perfectionism, that drive to make things perfect, keep us from producing, keep us from moving forward, keep us from starting or finishing a project, we are hurting our future self. And that's kind of important. So what can we do about it? Well, we can learn to just get started, first of all. 
and we can learn to let go a little sooner. We can give ourselves the grace to produce something that's somewhat less than perfect. The person that kind of brought this concept to my attention is Natalie Ekdahl, who you heard on episode 100. She's a business coach who interviewed me for that 100th episode. And she's taught me about being okay with shipping the minimum viable Laura. That is, whatever it is that I want to do that I've avoided sending out into the world because it's not perfect yet. It doesn't meet this perfect image that I've imagined. And I worry about being judged as being a slacker or whatever. But to do something, get do what I can do right now and get it out there into the world. And there are some great articles that talk about this whole idea of iteration. The concept, I think, of minimum viable product or is prevalent in the software world where you get something that'll work. Maybe it's not perfect, but get a, a form of whatever you're creating that works basically well get it out there in the world, let people try it, test it, and then improve it as you go along. And that's a way that you can really deal with this attitude or this issue of perfectionism that prevents us from getting our stuff out there. So those are my 10 time thieves for this episode. A couple of general things about how to protect our time against time thieves. In addition to the ideas and the tips and the suggestions above, you know, that I've talked about already, there are some general things that we can do. First of all, as we've talked about in episode 108, become more aware of how you're using your time and maybe how you're spending it on things that are less valuable, whether it's trying to multitask or social media or you know procrastinating because of perfectionism. So track your time. You can use that chart that I've shared before or a time tracking app like A Time Logger or A Tracker. Both are available for mobile devices to just keep track of how you're spending your time and make sure that you are using your time for the things that matter most to you. Have a plan in place. You know, the three to five things that are most important to accomplish on a day and schedule the time you're going to accomplish them and then discipline yourself to follow that plan and do those important things before turning to the less important activities. And finally, just be kinder to yourself. Beating up on yourself does not help you become more productive. We need to learn to give ourselves some grace and move forward. So what do you think? Have any of these thieves been stealing your time? And is there a tip here that you found helpful? Or do you have a tool or a tip for protecting your time from those time thieves that maybe you would share with us? I would love it if you would either go to the comment section of the show notes at theproductivewoman.com slash 111, or you can post a comment or a question in the Productive Woman Community Facebook group. If you want to share your thoughts with me privately, you can email your questions, comments, or suggestions to me at feedback at theproductivewoman.com. I love hearing from you. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you would consider helping me spread the word. Tell a friend about the show and show them how to subscribe. Share an episode using the social sharing buttons that you find in the show notes for each episode. Or consider leaving a review in iTunes or on Stitcher or wherever you listen to the podcast. That's really helpful both to me in terms of making sure I'm on track with what I'm talking about and also for helping other people find it. I want to say a special thank you to some people who've left some very kind reviews 
recently. Karen D. from Chicago in the United States recently left a review in iTunes that said, this is the one podcast that I've listened to from the beginning and have not missed an episode. What I like most about the podcast is that it almost always gives me reason to pause, think, and evaluate what I'm doing in my life. What I like most about Laura is that she is humble and real. She thanks me. And I thank you, Karen D. I really appreciate the the kind words and, and the encouragement there. A listener from Germany left a review recently in iTunes saying, I love how knowledgeable Laura is, and she clearly knows what she's coming from as she speaks from her own experience. I get inspired by listening to her tips And I'm amazed at all the facts she's researched. A must listen to for anyone who sometimes feels overwhelmed and wants to take control of their life. So thank you so much to the names she used is so inspiring and authentic. I very much appreciate that kind review. Lori Eisenstadt from the United States uh, left a review as well saying, who's not looking for ways to be more productive in their daily life? I certainly am. What I really like about this show is how Laura shares the information in an easy to listen and take in way, meaning she shares the info and is not pushy and is not telling us there is only one way. Laura really asks us good questions so we can think about what tips of hers will be appropriate for our individual lives. She went on and said some more things, which you can see if you visit the review page in iTunes. But thank you, Lori. And finally, Mommy Income from the United States left a review in Stitcher saying, I discovered TPW podcast a few weeks ago when I recommitted to consistent exercise. Laura's voice is comforting and she's very practical and encouraging. The guests she interviews are very interesting and informative. I learn something new when I listen, but more importantly, there is always something I can immediately put into practice. Action steps are the way to success. Thank you, Laura. And thank you, Mommy Income. I appreciate that very, very much. And I think I'm going to let it go at that. Thank you to those of you who have reviewed. For those of you who haven't yet, consider visiting iTunes. You can go to theproductivewoman.com slash iTunes, and that'll take you right to the review page where you can leave a few sentences. And I appreciate that. Remember, if you're interested in the Productive Woman Mastermind groups for 2017, the first round in 2017, visit theproductivewoman.com slash mastermind to get information and a link to the application. I'd love to have you in the group to start off the new year very well. And that, my friends, is it for this episode of The Productive Woman. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. I hope there was something here that you found helpful and that you can put into action right away in your life. I look forward to talking with you again soon. So until next time, remember, extend grace to each other and to yourself and go make your life matter. The Productive Woman is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to help you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx.